Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good to see everyone. Um, it's an, uh, an honor and a pleasure again to be with you all. Um, I'm JP, my wife Laurie, and our kids, Isaiah, Robbie, and Bryn, are glad to be with you this morning um, as we open up God's Word together. Uh, thankfully, our church meets in the evening, so that means that we're free to do this, which is a good thing. I was sharing with Nathan a little while back that we were, we've been looking for a place to meet on Sunday mornings, um, and I actually told him no the first time he asked me because I thought we were going to, but God had different plans. So um, let's pray together as we, um, as we turn to God's Word. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you have reached into the darkness of our lives and you have given us your grace. You have given us access to yourself. You have spoken words of life to us. And Lord, we pray that even today, even as we gather to worship you and hear and hear a word of truth from you, Lord, that you would speak. That you would give us ears to hear. And not only to hear, but to listen, to take to heart what you have for us today from your word. We ask that you would pour out your spirit, that you would convict us of our sin, that you would lead us to deeper and maybe for the first time faith to trust you, to put our lives in your hands. We pray it all in the name of our rescuer, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I remember not too terribly long ago, the very first time that I went on a business trip without Laurie when we were newlyweds. And calling it a business trip is probably a little misleading. I was traveling on a dangerous journey across country with teenagers. I was a youth pastor. We were going to summer camp, and and let me tell you, I was missing my wife after the first 10 minutes. Missing her like crazy as these kids are taking over my world, taking over my life. But you know, as I got into my role as a youth director and began pouring into the students, I wasn't so homesick anymore. I I, kind of, the thoughts of missing home kind of faded a little bit into the distance And then that night, after I made sure everyone was where they were supposed to be, everyone was in their bunk, I started unpacking my suitcase. And as I was unfolding my fitted sheets, an envelope fell out onto the ground. It was covered in X's and O's. And it had these words across the front, Monday night. I grabbed my flashlight and I devoured that letter that my wife had written to me. This love letter, she, she had actually tucked away five envelopes in my bag. One for each day I was gone. And let me tell you that in reading those letters, I had extra strength to do the work that God called me to do that week. I had extra energy to make it through those long days of torture, I mean youth ministry, because I had love letters for the journey. They were precious reminders of of my love for my wife and of her love for me. 
They were a way for us to connect from a distance, to know her love and to, to, to deepen my love for her while I was gone. And, and, and I think you probably know where I'm going with this, right? And, and, and yet to some of us, it might seem like an odd comparison. But God has communicated His love for us through the Scripture, through the written Word, through the Bible. It's how God reveals Himself to us. It's how we connect with our Creator from a distance, if you will. The Scripture is a precious reminder of His love for us. And it deepens our love for Him. These love letters for the journey. Someone once asked Jesus what he thought about the Scripture. And he, he said, well, you can basically sum it up in one word. Love. And then he, he quoted from the passage that was read just a few moments ago. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Love from God. Love for God. Love letters for the journey. God says, hear, O Israel. Listen up. I have a message for you. I am the Lord, and I am your God. I'm not distant and far away and unreachable. I'm here. I am in your presence. I am God says. God has spoken to His people through the prophets. And then these things were written down for us. God's Spirit guiding the writing of the Scripture to carefully say what God wants to say to us, to proclaim His love to to His world. So that we might confess our faith that all Scripture is breathed out by God. The Lord loves His chosen people. The Lord loves His chosen people. So He's written us these love letters for the journey. And you know, just like a husband who receives those letters from his wife, we are invited to to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart and soul and might. We're invited to hold these words close to our what? Close to our heart, right? To hold these words close to our heart, to relish and enjoy them, to pour over them with a flashlight. Because they are the living and active word, the message from the lover of our souls. But let's be honest. (laughs) The scriptures don't really seem like love letters. They really don't. They, They really don't most of the time. They don't seem like love letters. They're difficult. They're intimidating. The Bible is intimidating. It's hard to understand. It's a collection of 66 books of different types of literature. Poetry, law, narrative, genealogies, prophecy, letters, wisdom, and on and on. The 
The Bible was written by some, some 40 different people over the course of thousands of years. It's full of incredible stories of, of God's direct divine action in time and space. So some have written it off as just mythology. Something to learn a lesson from. But the Bible claims of itself to be something much more than that. It claims to be the very Word of God. Yet it didn't drop out of heaven on a golden tablet. No, it was, it was shaped and fashioned by human beings who God inspired to give us His letters. To give us His love letters. And the Bible tells us this unified story about God. This unified, this one story about God and His creation. This love story. And the love story can kind of be summarized in these, in these four main chapters. Some of you may be familiar with this idea. But the first chapter is relationship. Sometimes we think of creation. It's the establishment of a relationship with God. The first words of the Bible tell us that the ultimate reality, the great cause of everything, the thing behind everything, is the infinite, eternal, and self-existent God. God exists outside of His creation. He is not made. He doesn't have a beginning. In fact, the Bible begins with these words. What? In the beginning, God, right? In the beginning, God created. But in the beginning, God, He was already there in the beginning. God is... In his essence, a a personal and a relational being. So he creates a world full of color and taste and beauty and music and relationships. It's a paradise where all things bring him pleasure in relationship to him. And it's a beautiful world. God created beings that were made in his own image to reflect back to him. His glory and His character. He made people, male and female, in His own image. And they were commissioned by God. They were sent out by God to be His rulers on the earth. People were made, at the beginning of the Bible, the story is that we were made to be sent out to fill the earth, to be fruitful and multiply, to take these creative impulses and to put them to use in the world, to build a life in this beautiful creation, this garden that God had made. God created people, people like you, people like you, people like me. He created us for a relationship with Him. We were made for Him. We were made to know Him and to be known by Him. And God loved, God loved His creation. He loved His image bearers that he made, and he gave them access to himself. He walked with them in the cool of the day. And they enjoyed him in the world that knew no pain, in a world that knew no decay or death, no hardship. And what did God say about that world? He said it is very, yeah, it's very good. That world was very good. 
And you know, the first human beings, they were fully capable of loving the Lord, their God, with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might. Can you imagine being capable of fully loving the Lord with all of your being? It's almost impossible for us to, to imagine that. They were fully loved and they, and they loved fully. And their love was guarded by this covenant that God made with them. As long as they would live under God's rule, as long as they would live under the king of the universe, as long as they would live under their creator, they were promised an abundant and fulfilled life forever. And they were given freedom. God would not force them to love him. The relationship was contingent on obedience, perfect obedience to just one, just one rule. They were invited to eat of the fruit of every tree of that garden, except for one, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God warned them that taking hold of this tree, it will, it will lead to death, it will, it will kill you. This is when a dark and mysterious character enters into the story. He takes the form of a serpent and he whispers lies to the innocent couple, tempting them to claim authority and claim power for themselves to be God. And so they ate the forbidden fruit. They, they, they did it. They, they fell into it. Death entered the world, plunging all of humanity from then on into this cosmic rebellion that we know today. This world that we live in today in cosmic rebellion against our Creator. Chapter 1, relationship with God. Chapter 2, rebellion. Chapter 2, rebellion against God. This one simple act of disobedience ruined the relationship between God and humanity. I mean, instantly they hid themselves in shame. They blamed one another and began to feel the breakdown of nature itself. Thorns and pain and disappointment and grief and sadness and decay had, had come into the world like a deadly poison. And because of the rebellion, the man and his wife were, were exiled from the garden. And they were left to survive in the ruins of this fallen world. For the first time, they faced the reality of an expiration date. And this rebellion spread from the first man and his wife to their children, and to their children's children, to their children's children's children. People became murderers, oppressive. They not only ignored God, they, they actively pursued wickedness and evil. Every thought of their hearts was only evil all the time, the Scripture says. And with sorrow in his heart, God brought a great disaster on the earth to wash away the sins that were destroying it, the great flood. But he spared one man, Noah and his family. And yet we know that after, after the waters receded and humanity survived, the, the plague of rebellion continued. 
Humanity backslid further into disobedience. They created a monument to their rebellion, this great massive tower emblazoned with the slogan, We are gods. Ultimately, this is what rebellion is all about. It's about dethroning the the one true king, picking up his crown and putting it on ourselves. But God's love story would not be stopped by rebellion. No. It would not be stopped by rejection. And into the, the darkness of vanity and pride, abuse of power, violence and hatred, into that very place, God chose one person to, to, to set up a, a beachhead of resistance against the wickedness of the world. God brought chapter 3. God brought redemption. God brought redemption. And the, the hope for redemption and rescue in the face of betrayal and rebellion had long been promised. And some of you know that the first words of hope came at the very beginning, right after Adam and Eve first disobeyed God. Those words that, that God promised a rescuer would come, born of the woman, to crush the head of the evil oppressor, the serpent. God promised it long ago. And, and as God called out to this wandering nomad named Abram, he gave him a promise and a covenant. And he, and he gave him a son. He gave him a son in his old age. And he said to Abram, I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you. And make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It was rare in those days, but Abram believed God. He believed God and he accepted this grace covenant, this unconditional promise that God would fulfill, this plan for redemption. And so Abram and his descendants, they they slowly grew into a family of about 70 people who eventually migrated down to Egypt. God's people went to Egypt, and as time passed, Abram's family was fruitful and multiplied. They were living in the promises of God. They were living out their humanity, and they became known as the Israelites. Hundreds of years passed, and because they were foreigners in a land, because they were down in Egypt, because they were a hated racial minority, they soon became enslaved. And they soon became oppressed. But into that darkness, God raised up a deliverer named Moses. And through incredible acts of judgment, the gods of Egypt, the Lord brought the Israelites out of the land. And if you remember, the final act of judgment was the death of the firstborn son in every household. Every household in Egypt there would be a death. But the families who believed, who had the faith of their father Abram, they were instructed to to slaughter a lamb and to paint the blood of the lamb over the door of their house. Redemption would, would come through the blood of a substitute, of a sacrifice. 
And when death came, it passed over the homes of the believers. In this great act of redemption, God's people were saved from Egypt. Yes, but they were saved. They were saved from God's wrath itself. God had promised to make Abram a great nation. He had done that. And Moses and the young man Joshua led the people out into the wilderness and back to the the land that God promised them. The land that would be flowing with what? Milk and, and honey, right? The land that would be like the new garden of Eden. It would be restored, this blessing of God. But it all depended on their willingness to to follow and submit to their king. And so God gave them rules to follow. And he established an elaborate system of animal sacrifices and tabernacle worship that would make it possible for rebellious people like us to come into God's presence, to have that relationship restored through repentance and and through the blood of lambs and goats. God said to them, I will be your God. You will be my people. But this relationship was was one-sided. It was was really one-sided. Through the years, I mean, Israel found every way they, they could of sidestepping and rejecting God's loving rule. They sought their own way of salvation. They wanted to be like the other nations around them. So they so they so they asked God for a king. Give us a king so we can be like the other nations. God allowed it. The kings came and the kings took. (laughs) Kings ruled. And and the greatest of these kings was a king who was a shepherd boy named David. David loved the Lord his God with all his heart, with all his soul, and with all his might. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. David established justice and peace in the land. They even named their capital city Jerusalem, which means city of peace. Could this be the promised hero? Could David, this king, could he be the one who would crush evil for good? No. No. David, too, chose to go his own way of rebellion. He, he, he committed adultery and he covered it up. He, he, he committed premeditated murder even, yet the blood of sacrifice worked grace for David. And David experienced the loving forgiveness and undeserved kindness of God. And so God renewed his covenant promises with David. And even though he was not the one, that his descendant, that one of David's descendants, would be the one who would reign in justice forever. Two generations later, the kingdom had fallen apart. It was divided into a northern kingdom, Israel, and a southern kingdom, Judah. And both nations slid toward unbelief and back into rebellion again. Abram's family had never lived up to their calling to be a blessing to themselves, much less to the nations. So God let them feel the pain of their sin. God appointed foreign nations to come and rule over them. Jerusalem, in the end, was destroyed. The temple was 
was torn down and the, and the people were sent back out of the promised land, out of the, the garden, into exile. And from Babylon, the people wept and they mourned the loss of the presence of God. But even though the kingdom lay in ruins, God did not forsake his promise to his wayward people. No, but God raised up a new generation of faithful followers to lead the people back to the land and to rebuild the city and to rebuild the temple. But that temple was, uh, was only a shadow of its former glory. And for, for 400 years, there was silence. The prophets were absent, and Israel, now called the Jews, were ruled and oppressed by nation after nation after nation. And then, the unexpected. A young virgin named Mary received a visitor from the Lord, the angel Gabriel. He told her she would conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and and bear a son and, and call his name Jesus. A name which means God is my deliverer. He will save his people from their sins. And this Jesus, he was from poverty. He was from the backwoods of the promised land. But he had the blood of ancient kings pulsing through his body. The blood of of David, the king, the promised one. And not only the, 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 the blood of ancient kings, but he had the spirit of the king of kings upon him. He was God in the flesh. The promised redeemer had finally come. And it was God himself. Completely unexpected. Jesus was the second Adam. He came in innocence and unlike his father before him, Jesus walked in righteousness. He walked in obedience and submission to his father. He he always submitted to his will. He was not the kind of leader that people wanted. He, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a powerful, mighty warrior like Gideon or, 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 or a king like Solomon, full of riches and wealth. No. He was the fulfillment of what the old prophet Isaiah called a, the suffering servant. Jesus associated with the, the down and out, the sinners and the, the tax collectors. He, he came to serve, not to be served. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But Jesus wasn't a pushover. No, no, he he demonstrated his power, you know. The the, the scripture tells us that that he worked miracles. He he healed the sick instantly. He raised the dead. He he controlled the wind and the waves. He's all-powerful, God, man. He had authority over creation. And yet, he refused when that whispering voice came into his ear. He refused to wield power for his own sake. And when the time came, Jesus laid down his life. He laid down his life under the hands of the Romans and the Jewish leaders who nailed him to a cross. Killing the one who is the author of life. But this was God's plan all along, wasn't it? 
this was God's plan all along. The blood of lambs and bulls had been a sign. And Jesus was the one true Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And his followers were amazed that, that, that on the third day he rose again from the dead. That he was the true Lamb who, who died and was raised. God vindicated the life of Jesus by bringing him back to life and by, by offering it up as a, as, a, as, a, as a substitute for everyone who believes in him. For everyone who believes in him. A covering for our sins. That all who would trust in God, just like Abram, a long time ago, would enter into this grace covenant, this, this unconditional love, this, this undeserved mercy. And this covenant was sealed with a love that never fails. It was sealed with a love that never fails. After the resurrection, Jesus commissioned his apostles, his, his sent ones, his followers. He, he commissioned them to carry this good news to the, to the whole world. To go out and to, to, to send this message across the entire world. So that in them, through what became known as the church, the nations of the world would be blessed. That, that North Charleston would be blessed. And the final pages of the Bible introduce us to the fourth chapter. Renewal. God had promised his, his, promised his followers that their road would never be easy. They would face difficulty, persecution because of their faith in Him, because they would be bringing God's goodness and His love into a world of wickedness and hatred. So the Spirit of God was poured out as a renewing and empowering presence. God living with His people in this new living temple, the body of Christ. And the work of the church was to bring the love of God and the hope of the gospel to all nations. And that, that continues today. Jesus promised that he would return to judge the world. When he would right every wrong. When he would take away all the effects of human rebellion. Redemption will be complete and the eternal renewal of the world will begin. The return of the true king will usher in a renewed world. And there will be a new heaven and a new earth. And God will dwell with His people in fullness. Every shadow will flee. The King will say from His throne, Behold, I make all things new. This is God's love letter. This grand story of God's relationship with His creation of human rebellion and rejection of God's love fall into sin and death. It's the story of God's faithful love and His gracious redemption through the blood of Jesus. And it's a promise to bring about cosmic renewal and a victory of love forever. 
So let these words be on your heart. Let them fall on you and meditate on them and and take up your flashlight and and, and read them and consider this grand story that God is telling and, and read His Word so that you might know His love in deeper and fuller ways. Teach them diligently to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. See how He loves you. See how He loves you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Let's pray. Lord, we confess that your word is sometimes hard to grasp. But Lord, I pray that this reminder, this reminder of the big story, that it would encourage each one of us to come to you, to to draw near to you as you've drawn near to us, to respond to your love and faith. Lord, I pray that you would that you would cause envelopes to fall out in unexpected places so that we can take up your word and read and be encouraged and commune with you and be restored to that relationship that you created us for. And Lord, I pray for Two Rivers Church. Lord, I pray that this would be a place where this would be a place where people can come and be blessed where the nations can come and be blessed because of your love that you have for your people and for the whole world. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each person here, that they would be strengthened by your Spirit to walk in love, to love you with all of their life and their being. Lord, do that work here. And may this be a a, a beachhead of resistance against the powers of this dark world, bringing your light and your salvation to everyone. We pray and we ask all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.